You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number 13. And tonight, it's myself, Rusty, and Andrew. How you doing, Sam? Yeah, pretty good, mate. And yourself? Not too bad, all things considered. Not yeah. too bad, yep. Good to hear. Yeah. You, uh, I heard you uh, dropped some, uh, a fairly heavy weight on your fingers. Yeah, yeah, that uh, kind of put me out of action for a little <laughs> bit, but no, all good, all good. All so. back on deck? Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just the two of us tonight. We, um, The other guys have not been able to make it in for various reasons. But we thought we'd press ahead and cover a few topics and uh, talk about a couple of things. Um, and I guess we, uh, well, I went shooting on the weekend, which um, was really good fun. We actually went and did some testing for the uh, the Precision Rifle Invitational, which was um, good, but slightly eye-opening to um, actually run through some of the, the stages in concept, from concept form to actually practically doing them. Um, some of them stayed the same, some of them have uh, changed, and one has been ditched completely, which I guess you got to do. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, we want to make sure that when the when the shoot comes around, we've got it sort of finalised and, and polished, so mm. I haven't been shooting, however, I have been making uh, contraptions and devices <laughs> for the shooters that will be competing, so yeah, they'll, no, they'll it, hate me, I'm sure. It performed very, very well, um, and I guess what was interesting, the one that we did drop was not based on, it was being a, like a bad concept of, of stage design, it was actually dropped because we... I'm not not convinced that we could uh, faithfully score it correctly. There would be up for debate, um, and that's yeah, the, the consideration I hadn't had prior to actually going and shooting it. So yeah, that was one of those stages that uh, you know one or two points could mean the difference mm. between placing. So yeah. certainly, yeah, absolutely. But speaking of competitions and other such things, we had last uh, episode was Jared from the Victorian Practical Rifle Series. And uh, I tell you what, he was nervous about coming on the show, but I think he did a really good job. And um, and he's got uh, he's involved with the Victorian Practical Rifle Series, and they've got their shoot coming up on Sunday, which uh, unfortunately not been able to make it. But I hopefully I know a few extra guys have been able to, and and hopefully a few more can. So if you were umming and ahhing about it on Sunday. Um, it's a public holiday here in SA and also in Victoria. So um, get out to Castlemaine. As he says, Castlemaine. But anyway, we'll go with Castlemaine. And get out there and have a shoot on Sunday. And so we, we will link uh, those guys. But they're easy to find on Facebook, Victorian Practical Rifle Series. Or or even if you know, uh, listeners might not even have the opportunity to actually shoot, just, just to check out what these guys are doing. And mm. um, I think it's one of those things that, even if you haven't had a lot of experience with with long range or, or precision type shooting, and you have might have a preconceived idea of what target shooting is all about, come along and check it out because it's it's something very different. Yeah, certainly, um, and it appeals to people that wouldn't normally be into your traditional what mm. people think of target shooting as. So, mm. yeah, absolutely. So get out to that one if you're interested in coming to the Southern Shooters one. Uh, it's an invite one, but maybe drop us a message and we'll see what we can swing for you. Um, now the other thing that I thought I'd touch on from a previous episode, an episode, I think it was number 10 with, uh, Nick from Ignition Custom, he talked about a 4570, um, martini action. Yeah, I believe a, it was. A falling block, yeah. It was a martini, I think, yeah. Yeah, and, and he was putting into a, a whiskey chassis, uh, a KRG whiskey, and, and I didn't quite, I, when he was talking about it, I didn't quite grasp the concept about exactly what he was doing. 
that has been completed now and the photos are up on uh, Facebook and uh, it's different. It is. I've got to say it was... It looks better than I would would have expected hearing about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually <laughs> that's true. It, it he's done a good job on on the aesthetics, and I, you mm. know, from all accounts, I think it'll shoot well. And it's certainly probably the only one in Australia, let alone <laughs> the world. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, I, I saw it and had a had to have a few good looks at it because um, it didn't didn't look like anything I'd seen. And um, but you know, I know that I know the gentleman who uh, who had actually ordered that and um. I hope he likes it. I'm sure if if he's set out to do something very different, and it certainly fits into that category. I'd like to see him shoot it at a thousand yards. I think um, Sam, that you know, it's it was a cartridge that was renowned for long range accuracy for a lot of a long time. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, so it was used in the you know the early long range shooting. So certainly capable. I don't don't think it'd get quite the run it would uh, it used to then now. Um, I'm not sure Greg would be willing to change his build from a six mil by forty seven out to a forty five seventy, but we could try and convince him. We, yeah, we can work on it. But yeah, there's uh, the Greg. If you're listening, Berger have released some new forty five grain uh, forty five cow projectiles that I'm sure would be perfect for exactly what you're after. Yeah, just uh, just contact Berger and they'll fix you up. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll they'll, uh, they'll get straight onto it. It would be perfect. Um, now I had a, an interesting um, situation. Well, no, I. I I'm questioning some things, Andrew, and I thought I'd, I'd come to you for some, some advice and, and perhaps hopefully the listeners can learn something along with me. Um, so my 300 Win Mag that I've got that we use for Southern Shooters and it gets used quite a bit um, is, I suspect the the life of it, it's getting towards, it's uh, the barrel's getting worn out. Now, I could be making excuses for my poor shooting, uh, which I'm happy to admit if that is the case. But what's I guess what has happened is over the... Last four or five times I've taken it out, the accuracy has not been anywhere near where it has been previously, um, both at short range and longer range, and it seems to have progressively dropped off. Now, this rifle has probably had a pretty hard life, um, the barrel specifically, um, that it's had. it's been used commonly for, for people who are just getting into it, learning, having a crack, never shot anything that big and um, often not getting a lot of breaks between shots and, and getting quite, yeah, quite a hard life. It's probably at, a, at an estimate done over a thousand rounds um, and it probably had done about a good six or seven or five or six hundred rounds prior to actually sort of changing into a precision precision rifle. It was only getting shot to sort of three, four hundred metres. Um and now it's uh, it you know, had a load developed for it. It was shooting very you know, quite impressive for what it is, um, but it now is not grouping consistently. So I don't know. It's it's similar to what happened with my twenty two to fifty in the way it's gone about, and that, that a barrel change fixed that immediately. I don't know. What's your thoughts? Well, I've you know I've been there when that rifle's been shot, and again I, I you know would be inclined to agree. Um, Often, if you've got a you've got an issue, say you've uh, you've got a, a mount screw come loose, or or a defect in the scope where it might be not holding point of impact. Often, those issues are, um, you know, say a loose screw, which I believe you had. Yeah, on what, that rifle. W- at one point, it was it was going really badly, and uh, these the rail was loose. So fix that up, uh, and it's in. I guess it's improved it to some degree, but not at a long distance. It's not improved it in any shape. Yeah, I mean, I guess um, that 
if I was to sort of have to diagnose an issue like that, I, I would would the first thing I'd look at would be the scope. Now, if you've got a, a scope of known you know accuracy and you know that that scope holds zero and it it pretty quickly rules out physically the you know the the mounting setup and that sort of thing. If you've got it all locked down solid and you've got a known scope on there, known load, it it sort of cuts a lot of the potential issues out. Now, mm. often I've seen with scopes, if you have a have an issue with something moving internally in them that shouldn't be, you get you know you might get a group of say three or four in in a very tight group and then one thrown out. Yep. And then it'll come back to the the original group, which is sort of. A, you know, a sign of something moving from one spot to another, but doing it repeatedly. Yeah, sure, resting from one side or, or whatever it may be doing. Yeah, yeah, and and this rifle was definitely not doing that. No, and, it's um, it's. So I, I took it out and shot on paper on on the weekend, and it was moving in in excess of sort of three four inches. And if you shot enough targets, it shot a couple of decent groups. If you shot enough rounds, it shot a couple of decent groups, but um, not. Not from shot one, two, and three. It would be shot one, four, and ten, and those those three went together in a, in a good group. But that was not. It's probably law of averages, really. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. Put enough down there, and it will something will look impressive. So you just yeah. put your finger over the hole and take the photo of the rest. Is that's the way to do it? <laughs> that's the internet way. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it, we discussed earlier tonight. Um, that gun has has fired a reasonable number of rounds. Now, hmm. it's a relatively light profile. It's a standard. You know, Remington yeah, Remington Sendero profile, yep. which is not particularly heavy, um, and it sort of got me thinking about okay, it's fired, uh, say probably twelve hundred at most. I would imagine. Sure, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it over twelve hundred. No. Yeah. However, what uh, what really accelerates a barrel's wear and reduces its life is is heat and speed. Yep. Um, if you you fire that twelve hundred rounds really, and you don't let it get too hot, and um, you're basically being careful with it, mm-hmm. you can extend the barrel life. You know, quite a bit more now, hundreds of rounds more. Yep. So, for a barrel to get uh, twelve hundred rounds, it is a factory barrel. It's not a match barrel. Correct. Um, Remington barrels are, are you know decent, but compared with a match barrel, yep. You know they're they're inconsistent to a fair degree. Um, and what I was thinking as well is you probably had your your throats probably eroded a relatively large amount. And mm. what you may find is that. Um, Often factory guns of short magazines and long throats, um, yes. which means you can't really seat the projectile, old, you know, ideally yeah, close to the rifling. Possible. So what you uh, may it have... is it is a floor plate. Just uh, well, originally it was a floor plate, so that was not such a big deal. And and I guess now it it is magazine driven now, but I probably single load it most of the time anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you're um, if you've kept the same load and you haven't haven't. Uh, adjusted your seating depth and that sort of thing, what you could find would be your throat could well be burnt out to a fairly big degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're not adjusting your seating depth to suit, you could get really large jumps to the rifling. And obviously the rifling is not going to be clean and neat like it would be on a new barrel. So yeah, certainly. that can account for a fair bit of inconsistency. Um, yep. I would say the barrel's probably cooked. Mm-hmm. Um I guess that uh, <laughs> yeah, that's probably the it really. That's I mean, probably where to go. I guess yeah. The the only thing or the one of the factors I haven't tried um, is to change the scope on it, which could it doesn't it doesn't read really like a, a scope problem from my experience. But I'm I'm happy to be wrong on on these things. Um, yeah, look, I, I would be in this case. I'd be very surprised if it was an issue because yeah. that scope has been on other guns and it's a Bushnell XRS for those listening. Yeah, yeah uh, four and a half to thirty now. 
those scopes are, are solid, and that that scope has been on other guns. I've seen it shot. Mm. It's it's been reliable and dependable. So, always yeah. been good. And and it's been on this gun for a long time, and and shot very well on this gun as well. Um, and it, as you said, you know, to start with, it, it's been a progressively worse performer. It hasn't just all of a sudden gone from shooting half MOA to you know three MOA groups. Yeah. Yep. So it's... that does indicate the barrel and the rifle rather than the scope. Scope yep. issues don't gradually get worse. They, they normally they go, go from perfect to terrible rubbish. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I, I guess, and, and to clarify the reason, reason it was shot quite a bit is it was a, it was a gun that we use for new shooters. If they wanted to shoot something big, um, in a, in controlled environment and to be able to, um, it was bought for that intent and then it slowly became actually part of the, the more longer range precision side of things. So it probably had a pretty rough upbringing initially and then, uh, and now has, uh, has sort of, uh, paid me back for it. If, if that is the issue. Oh, I think it's, it's probably, um, probably paid for itself. Um, it's, uh, you know, when, as you said, it's a factory barrel, it's been probably not cleaned as often as it would if you were like really trying to maintain, yeah, Top certainly. Line accuracy Com- compared to my pres- my actual precision rifles, it's not not in the same category, and that's sort yeah. Of things. So I went to think uh, we we'll have to work out a new barrel and mm. get it going again. I'll be interested if anyone has um, or those who have, who have worn out barrels, and this is not my first, but for those who have worn out barrels, it'd be interesting to see your take and if there's other things that I should be trying perhaps before I jump the gun and drop you know thousand dollars on getting a barrel and and the work done to to make it all happen. Um, I would be curious to hear that. Um, that's probably what I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do. I suspect, um, but uh, yeah, I'd be I'm happy to test a couple other things and then be able to give back feedback to those who suggest it um, as well to see where where that goes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think given the you know I've seen this rifle as well and I've seen it over a period of time. I I would be quite surprised if it was anything else. Yep. Um, but you never know. No, that's um, it. Always stranger yeah. things have happened. So. Always learning. Always happy to to be wrong on these sort of things, especially yeah. if it saves me a thousand bucks. I'm really happy to be wrong on this one. That would be good. Oh, thanks for for the ideas and the input on that one. Um, now we were going to talk a little bit about some new products that we'd seen. We shot um, happened in January, so now it's a couple of months behind us. Uh, he was on at the moment, um, and so there are some new products around. But um, we have you've seen some stuff that you wanted to bring up, Andrew. Yeah, just a, a couple of things. I thought that, um, I mean, there's, you know, thousands of products are released at, uh, at SHOT Show in the US every year and, and EWA, which for people that, that are not aware, EWA is, I guess, effectively a more upmarket um, version of SHOT Show held in Europe, I guess. It's it's all sort of a suit and tie kind of thing. But again, it's, it's new products. It's the firearm industry. So there's a few products that I've picked out, Rusty, that... Um, Yep. that are probably more applicable to sort of the precision sort of long-range shooting. Mm. And one that really caught my eye is a um, is a new product from Caldwell. It's their um, long-range target like camera system. Um, we've we've spoken about this, I think, touched on it before, the concept of having a a camera downrange near your target. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's very difficult to spot, spot fall a shot at, at long range. And yep. And I guess cost has been a fairly prohibitive issue in the past, but um, it seems that Coldwell have come out with a a very reasonably priced, sort of around the four hundred US dollar mark, I, I believe, um, for the system. So, mm. um, very interested to uh, to hear what other people sort of are people interested in this kind of product. Um, 
Well, I'd be int- I'd, I'd be keen to see if if people are using it because I'm certainly I'm I'm thinking about getting something like this for um the the longer range stuff one at where we where we shoot and also then for this uh, particular competition and it'd be really good to have a camera downrange just to alleviate discussion on whether or not someone hit it um and yeah if, if you've got it on camera it's hard to disprove it yeah and it saves a lot of time um i mean like you mentioned in the competition sense um a lot of time having to you know close the range go down range check targets and come back up it, it's right there it's, it's flowing um but yeah even for the guys that aren't uh, you know looking at it in a competition sense it's yeah, it's a very, very handy piece of equipment, I would imagine. And mm, well, that um, that Cold War one looks. It it claims it'll do up to about a uh, up to a mile, mm. and that's full HD video, and that'll stream to any um, any Wi Fi device, mm. so Android or, or iPhones or anything like that, which would make it really versatile. Um, which would be good to see um, when they when they do come to Australia, if they do come to Australia. Hopefully, they do. I would imagine so. I mean, I think the majority of the Cold War products are here, so. Um, you'd probably know Rusty there. Who is the distributor in Iowa, I believe? Yeah, so yeah, I would imagine they probably will make it here when when the market uh, lets up enough in the US that we can get some here. Yeah, and um, another product which um, not probably quite so applicable for the you know the I guess the tactical orientated shooter, but um, definitely for the guys that are into the F class um, type events. There's a uh, Talon Mark Seven carbon fiber bipod, which is a a very wide footprint bipod, um, predominantly made out of carbon fiber, so obviously very light, strong, and stiff. That uh, I think would be very appealing for the F class guys. I yep. mean, that's what it's specifically designated for a um, an F- FTR uh, bipod. So okay. I know for a fact we've got a couple of listeners that that are into that kind of shooting. So yeah, sure. Again, probably not particularly practical um, field shooting type orientated but yep. for the range guys it's it's what they want so is that um excuse my ignorance but within f class is is there weight there's rate restrictions isn't there within f class yeah and, again and I'll, then and yeah. then does a bipod count for that i i don't know well yeah one of our f class shooter listeners <laughs> maybe could let us know us? Yeah. i'm not a not an f class shooter either but i i, I believe there's there's not just f class there's different areas that, uh, and then there's different and different uh, parameters that have to Sure. abide by so i mean guys you know for having a, a ultra lightweight bipod i would presume that mm. if it's attached to the gun it's probably considered part of it so part of it yeah because i know that i know there is weight limits within various categories and and um uh, but i'm sure i don't know whether the bipod counts in that well we'll find out hopefully yes, yep so someone will tell us um, and i guess that um you know the f-class thing leads me into um another product which um, another manufacturer which I had never heard of up until a couple of days ago, which is yeah. uh, their, their products are being released at EWA currently. Okay, it's uh, Vitrix Armaments. Yeah, um, I, I got alerted to that today, and they look pretty impressive. Yeah, I think um, they're an Italian manufacturer with some some really uh, really good equipment that they're using to manufacture their their products. Now they. Um, they make every single item on their rifles except their barrels, and they are in partnership with Benchmark Barrels, um, who are that's not bad. Yeah, top quality barrels. <laughs> yeah, now. absolutely. You look on uh, on their website; they've got state of the art uh, five axis machines, and they're now that's what I saw, and and, mm. and 
Yeah, just the way the way they're doing it's obviously reasonably different to to how others are. Well, there's a few things what, different. They, 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 they make their own actions, and yep. th- they use a three lug action with some. You know, their uh, geometry on their lugs is different from, I guess, the standard. And there's. I had that question. They, they, they in, in their spiel it said 105, 105, 105, versus normally it's a one twenty, one twenty, one twenty. What does that relate to? Uh, I believe that it wasn't wasn't all one hundred and five. I think it was. There's some oh, different right. angles, um, and they. I think what they've uh, they've found in their testing is that is when the action's locked, mm-hmm. they found less distortion with the geometry they've used rather yep. than a conventional three lug action where all the lugs are evenly spaced apart, like you know, in, oh, okay. in one twenty degree increments. Um, right, but that's the spacing on the lugs. Yeah, is yeah, that, the that angle of the lugs. Yeah, so. That's uh, you know, there's obviously their proprietary action, so they seem seem to have done their homework. But um, regards to what they're actually building those actions into, they've got a good range of you know they're, they're obviously covering their tactical market in a yeah, fairly wide degree, which quite is versatile, aren't they? Yeah, but then again, what would be of interest to the you know the purely the range target shooters is they've got a, a really good range of of F class guns, including a an ultralight. Um, carbon fiber stocked version and you know, multitude of um, conventional, I guess conventional if you could call it that, um, laminate and solid timber stocked versions as well. So yeah, just um, something that sort of came up and and to me they look really good. So mm. Mm. yeah, now be uh, it'd be interesting to see them because they're uh, they're Italian, um, mm. which are obviously known for shotguns, but perhaps not so much for precision rifles. Yeah, I mean. That's sort of, I guess, been been the norm. But I mean, they've got the manufacturing capability to make some nice gear, and so yeah, I mean, they're in partnership with March Scopes in the UK. So I've um, been in contact with them, and uh, hopefully, we'll be getting some pricing and availability when uh, Eve mm. was finished. So mm. that'd be really good to see what they're actually end up end up being worth. Mm. I mean, I'd, they're not going to be cheap. I wouldn't <laughs> no, imagine. No, but of course, they're, not. they're no. utilising the top top gear. So um, yeah, that was a, a pretty interesting product. Yeah, I've, uh, one that I saw, I, I use a, a number of the uh, Timney Calvin Elite triggers, which I really like, and they've released a two-stage variant of it. Um, and I haven't done a lot with two-stage triggers, but I have used a couple, and they were quite uh, yeah, quite friendly to use. So I don't know whether, I'm not going to go change them all, but um, perhaps the next one I do get, whenever I do get a new one, might try the two-stage. What's your experience with two-stage triggers? Um, I've, I've used a few, and... A good two-stage trigger is nice to use. Um, one of the first centerfires I, I purchased was a Seiko TRG22, mm-hmm. and and they utilise a two-stage trigger, and it you know was it was beautiful to use. And I, I believe some of the the Hauer rifles these days are utilising a two-stage trigger. Yep. Um, it's one of those things. I think uh, if you're used to using it, they're, they're good. And if you've got a good one, they're good. If you've got one that's kind of mushy between the stages, it would be difficult um yeah that's pretty well, that's true of most of most triggers if they're that feeling then they're not they're not they're not comfortable not use uh not they're not fun to use you mm. know, i find anyway but i mean they are pretty common and a good two-stage trigger rather than a you know military's type two-stage trigger is um that's probably what most people you know comes to mind um is that sort of military rifle big heavy mm long pull big long take up yeah yeah um and that's certainly not the case with the modern one so no i think you think you'd probably be quite happy with one yeah i guess from the the two stage triggers i've used um is has been they've been just enough of a take up just so you can get your finger resting on the gun so you know you're in position ready to go 
um, which which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've I've used a few uh, Huber concepts. Yeah, uh, it's one I'd like triggers, to try. Yeah, and they are very nice. I mean, they're they're not a cheap trigger, but you get what you pay for, and and they've been fantastic triggers. So, yeah, mm. brilliant, nice. And I see Kestrel have redone uh, redone a number of their products. Yep. Yep. Um, with their 5700, um, which is their, their top-end one, and their Sportsman one as well, and they both come with the applied ballistics on them. Um, there's no sort of other option within that category of them. And they've got that, uh, the, I'm not sure what it's called, link of some sort of link feature, which allows you to operate a, um, a tablet or a phone or anything like that and actually see what's happening. So you can stick your Kestrel a bit further, well, 100 feet Um down downrange or slightly off or wherever you wherever you want it to be uh, to give you a good wind reading and then sit there with your phone and monitor it in real time, mm. which is probably a useful feature, particularly if you've got it on a weather vane. Um, then you can not only get your wind direction but also your wind speed. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. Uh, you know, I haven't actually competed in a short-range Ventress competition, but those guys, if you see the array of, of wind flags and indicators <laughs> yeah. they use, it's phenomenal yep. whether something like that would be permitted or not. Again, if I, I believe, and, and I'm happy to be corrected on this one, but I do believe that any electronic aids in terms of wind, they, they are out of the, the rule, uh, are out of the game. Yeah. Um, because they did have guys use it, and they would have, they would set up arrays down the, down, down the, uh, the wind channel and, and get all monitored wind the whole way through rather than the skill of reading the, the wind flag. Yeah, and I guess uh, that is a fairly big factor. Um, I mean, in, in Bentra shooting, you know, it's won or lost at, you know, a thousandth of an inch yeah. kind of increments or less. So Any little advantage like oh, that. Yeah. 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 And then, so. look, you know, as, as that's, that technology becomes more prevalent, um, um, who knows, the, the rules may need to change or whatever it is, but certainly when, we're not here to discuss rules of Bentrist. I'm sure there's other people who know far more about that than we. Absolutely, yep. Um, <laughs> probably could maybe watch some paint dry might be a little more interesting <laughs> than discussing rules of Bentrist, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, another, another, just a, again, slightly off topic issue, um, or product, which I found, which I think, you know, looked very interesting for the, while we're in the F class sort of vein mm -hmm. is, um, Vortex have brought out a new scope, which is, is fairly and squarely aimed at the F class market. It's a uh, 15 to 60 by 52. Yeah. Right. Um, they call it the golden eagle. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's a high magnification second focal plane scope. Yep. Um, very similar features to some of the March and Night Force high-end competition scopes. Yes. Yep. Uh, and getting some really, really favourable reviews and, and price-wise is, uh, well, shall we say, it's, it's considerably less than, than its competition. So yeah, okay. it'd be interesting to see see one of those in the flesh. I'm sure they will Didn't will you just ba Didn't you just bag out Bentrest and now you're recommending a product? No, no, no. This is, <laughs> is F-Class. Oh, F-Class. Sorry. Yeah. I've, I've clearly um, got that wrong. Well, no, you wouldn't see too many... Uh, too many variable powered scopes in Bentress just from the extra weight. Those guys want to put all their weight in their barrels. So yeah, certainly. I mean, this is true, but I, I know some some guys do. Some do guys run. do. You're right. Um, but I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the time, it's it's fixed power stuff. But um, no, for the F class kind of uh, hmm. applications, yep. um, they tend to to favour the high magnification scopes. Yeah, well, that's it. If you um, if you can make the elevation, you may as well. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, it's uh, you know often. They're shooting at, at fixed known ranges, so um, you know they can utilise larger, uh, you know, tapered rails if need be, and that sort of thing. And I believe this uh, particular vortex scope had you know, had a good array of um, elevation in it. So, well, uh, I've got it. I've got it almost up on the screen. Let's have a look. 
Yeah, actually, while we're sort of looking at what you're scrolling through there, um, the Vortex have also got a new scope out, the uh, Razer AMG series, um, which I, from what I understand is sort of the next evolution of their Razer series. So probably a little more applicable for the field tactical type shooting. But yeah, we'll, just, we'll get on to that one. Um, I'm just going to, this Golden Eagle. Mm-hmm. Certainly a good-looking scope. It, it's um, exposed turrets, isn't it? It's yeah. 55 minutes of elevation. Yep. So if, I guess for a, a dedicated uh, F-class gun, that's probably adequate. Yeah, if uh, you had a 20-minute rail on your rifle as well, that would certainly take you out to the mm. F-class ranges. So. Yep. I mean, yep. that's that's what it's orientated for. So It looks but, quite um, good, actually. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, I sort of I follow fairly closely the Accurate Shooter Daily Bulletin, and and they had a had a review on it, um, and it was reviewed very well. So certainly for the guys interested in in that kind of form of shooting, um, could be definitely worth a look. Mm, absolutely. So, so this I've, I've now got the AMG up um, there. Yeah, this is um, is well, it's the first focal plane scope. Um, definitely aimed more at the sort of the the field tactical type market. Yep, so it's 6 to 24 by 50. Yep, and I've, offhand... And I'll, first focal plane? Yeah, first focal plane. I'm not sure offhand whether it's a 34 or 30 mil tube, but um, it's, yeah, it's clearly aimed. It's exposed turrets, um, zero stop. 30 mil tube. 30 mil, yep. yeah. Yeah, um, with 96 minutes of elevation. Yeah, so it's so in, the, in the ballpark there. Yeah, so again, it'd be interesting to uh, to see one of these scopes in the flesh when they get here. I don't haven't heard of anybody that's got one here yet, but um, no, no, not yet. They will be coming. Presumably, yeah, no, so. no doubt. Guys here, I'm sure will be uh, will be looking at them. Yeah. So I guess, um, Sam, this probably kind of leads into. Oh, I've got oh, one other thing that I saw being uh, announced. at uh, yep, shot yep. was the Schmidt and Bender, um, the five tw- five forty five by fifty six, which is their high power one. Yep. Um, I mean, it's probably, from what I saw, going to be really expensive, as they usually are. Um, but, you know, they're, they're often regarded as the top of the game. Although in recent years, perhaps they've dropped off in their popularity comparative to uh, some of the others. They've certainly still maintained a very good reputation. Absolutely. I mean, they they are commonly used by sort of military units uh, and, you know, police and that sort of thing around the world. I mean, you don't get that unless you're good, so... It's good to see, though, that they are actually, um, you know, bringing out new products and not resting on their laurels, so. Yeah, always good to see new releases. So, yeah, no, it'd be interesting to uh, to see one of these uh, Schmitz when they get uh, sort of available here. Yeah, that's um, perhaps not the, not, it's it's a 66 minutes of elevation, so it's it's probably more aimed at that F-class, is it more? I don't know. It's it's more aimed, perhaps not that really long range stuff. The the comparative being the hundred minutes of angle to one hundred and twenty minutes of angle adjustment scopes. Yeah, but it's got that higher elevation, uh, higher magnification. So it's going to be a playoff between those two. Well, a lot as of the, it always is. A lot of the time, though, with the with the sort of the practical tactical type shooting, the the real high powered scopes. Besides the the lack of elevation, they usually have. If you're trying to pick up a small target in a field environment. Mm. With high magnification, it's a lot more difficult than it's if you're... Uh, difficult, mm. yeah. Well, I remember Jared uh, from the Vic, uh, Practical Rifle se- uh, series was talking about that last uh, last week, and he, he was saying he rarely runs his scope beyond 
oh, I'm going to get this wrong, I'm sure, but 12, 14 power, something along those lines. And it was a, it was a, I'm going to get this all completely wrong, but it was a 24, 25, something along those sort of votes, maybe 30. Um, but he said he keeps it pretty low. And, and I found the same thing when you were, um, when we were running these uh, practice sessions or this, um, this test on some of the courses we've, uh, the stages we've written. Um, yeah, you, you quite comfortably run your scope on 13, 14, 15 power um, because you've got to be able to pick it up really quickly. You've got to be, you know, you don't have to be, you've got to hit or miss. It wasn't, uh, you know, trying to shoot a group. Yeah, and you're also um, sort of not trying to finally, you know, see, you know, put put a projectile in exactly the same hole. It's You find the target and you've got to hit it quickly, you know, as quickly as you can now. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's speed is of the essence as well mm. as, as accuracy now. If you've got a good optic that's that's clear and and focused and its resolution's good, yeah, on twelve to fifteen power, it's gonna be comfortable. Yeah, I mean, if you're mm. trying to shoot one centimeter squares at five hundred meters, no. But if you're trying to shoot steel plates at those ranges, yeah, then yes, very different story. Well, and truly, it's going to do the job. So, um, I guess this sort of leads us in, and and the AMG specifically, um, leads us into a. a a bunch of questions we've had recently about scopes. Um, and we did a little bit of a podcast, uh, sort of early days or, um, one of the earlier episodes about talking scopes, but we were very, uh, we tried to cover a lot in that one episode, which scopes is probably fair enough that there's, there's a lot of information. Um, and to try and break those down to individual categories is, um, probably due to, talk about one over over an episode and, and so one of the questions that I've I've been hit with a fair bit this last couple of weeks has been the difference between first focal plane and second focal plane and why you would go one or the other and when you would go one or the other yeah I think um, that's a pretty common question I think any, mm. anybody sort of that has been in shooting for a long time seems to get asked and it's it's a good one to ask um it's interesting what I think with with uh, first focal plane scopes is it's only been in relatively recent times that there have been good, um, accessible, affordable first focal plane scopes available. Um, yep. and, and they're becoming more more and more so. Yeah, and for for the longest time, first focal plane scopes were so much more expensive than a second focal plane scope that most shooters would just go, well, why would I spend the extra $1,000 or more to have that feature so and they weren't really developed to the degree where they are now and you know looking back at some of the earlier first focal plane scopes reticle selection was really poor in them and that sort of thing sure so i guess well perhaps we should clarify the difference between the two i'm sure most guys will know but for those who don't um so they can keep up with the convo um the a first, a second focal plane is what most people would be used to from a scope. The majority of scopes are going to be second focal plane. If you walk in and you buy yourself a Tasco three nine, um, world class to put on your twenty two, it's going to be a second focal plane scope. And the easiest way to tell the difference is as you wind the magnification. Um, if the reticle stays exactly how it was at three power as nine power, you've got yourself a second focal plane. If the reticle increases in size and so you're seeing less of the reticle but you're seeing um you're seeing it thicker and you're seeing uh it, it zoomed up it, it is a first focal plane and it's uh, it's going to be in line with the magnification 
and that the benefit there of the first focal plane is that if you have got marks on your reticle, hash marks or mill dots or anything like that, they're going to be true on their um, measurements as you throughout the power range, whereas the second focal plane is only going to be true at a given uh, power range. Yeah, and I think um, this, we are talking about this, the style of shooting, this, you know, the precision rifle series, practical type shooting mm-hmm. has really accelerated the, the growth of the first focal plane. Now, that's, if you've got a you've got a scope which you're going to be dialing up and down and using the reticle to hold for wind or for moving targets and that sort of thing, it's it's almost a 100% necessity to use a first focal plane. Yep. Um, because you don't have to worry about what power your scope is on magnification wise to, yep. you know, for those subtensions to be correct. So each is, it's got its disadvantages as well. And I think one of the early disadvantages of the first focal plane was reticle choice yeah, meant that say you had a, a three and a half to 15 or a five to 25 power scope yep. for the reticle to be um, sufficiently thin, I guess, to be usable at full power it meant that if you wound it down to lowest power, yep. the reticle became micro thin and, and basically almost not usable for the, you know, the graduations on the reticle. So mm. that was an issue that you know in recent years has been overcome with some of the new reticles out. You know, Horace have got a whole bunch out, and you know, sure. the, the tremor reticles and that sort of thing have overcome that. And even even just the the standard, the non Horace, the factory sort of stuff. I, I think what I've I've seen more prevalent in reticles now is the the floating dot in the middle. So it's a, it's a you know, nice, fairly comfortable crosshair, but then they've got this gap around the center point with a dot in the center. And I've seen that across a number of different brands. And I guess one of the, one of the complaints often with first focal plane five or 10 years ago was as you zoomed up, you, um, you could almost cover your entire target and not be able to see it anymore. But by sort of hollowing out that crosshair um, and just putting a, an aiming mark in the center, it's enough that you can usually still see the outside of your target and put the center on, the dot on the center. Yeah, and I guess um, its applications are, you know, important as far as mm. um, you know a lot of the target shooting where they, you know, bench rest or, or F class where they're shooting really fine targets off the and, and particularly bench rest type shooting where they're shooting for group. Yeah. Um, and, and shooting, then, shooting paper and, and small sort of areas, yeah, yeah. Closer range, but they really, I mean, as I said, it's it's one or lost at you know, three decimal points of an inch. So yeah. if you were to use a first focal plane scope, the, the reticles, generally speaking, are too, too thick for that too kind thick. of application. However, if you're trying to shoot a, you know, a, a one MOA or sized target, a gong at whatever range, mm-hmm. you know, that reticle will never cover it. It, you know, it, it's probably a little coarser than the the bench rest shooters would would you would use, but yeah. uh, I found it, it's it is a lot quicker. Mm. But again, so they certainly have their place. Um, it's first focal plane scopes are not for everybody, but I would imagine. And, and, what and, it, and you still have to pay more for them. Generally speaking, in their, in their like for like, they they still are the more expensive option. Well, they're from what I understand, you know, physically they are more work to build mm. um they're a more complicated design to build in the way that the scope's put together yeah so understandably they're going to be more expensive but um i guess for for the guys that are relatively inexperienced and want to get into the any sort of form of hunting or long-range shooting really yeah um it's probably a really good option because it takes away they don't have to consider you know if they go okay i've got my drop table here and it says you know for six minutes of angle hold on whatever range 
they don't have to worry about looking at, at where their scope is set. They can just hold on that reticle hmm. and know that it's going to be correct and true. Yep. Um, which, again, you know, if you can take that variable out of the equation when you're under the pressure of hunting in particular, it's yeah, probably not so. a bad thing. I mean, there's a lot of, not a lot, there are more scopes coming out. Like Bushnell have got some you know, lower magnification range, like their 3 to 12 LRHS and yes. uh, four and a half yep. to eighteen LRHS, which are and they're all first focal plane. They are first yep. focal plane, yep. And um, I believe Weaver have got a couple of tactical scopes out now. Okay. Um, yep. That I've are, seen that. Yeah. In in they they're not the mega dollar ones. They're they're not up there with the Schmidt and Bender price wise. Sure. They're Sub two thousand dollar scopes. Yep. Um, which certainly puts it a lot more available than a four and a half or five thousand dollar scope yeah, for the so guys getting involved with the shooting. I think we had a look at some of the questions and, and one of the guys that had written in said it's had a budget of two and a half thousand or less. Yep. Preferably. Yeah. And you know, there are there are certainly options available now at that price point where he could get a really good quality optic that would, would do the job well for that. Yeah, certainly and and, a, and one of the other questions was even a, a smaller budget. And um, look, I've been trying to find a, a, a scope that I've um, that I can recommend to guys that it's you know sort of under a thousand dollars that will do it. And I've really struggled to find a, a scope with the first focal plane option. I, I tried one on the weekend, and, and I won't name the brand yet because I gave it some tests, but there's more I want to do, and I've, I've still got it for at least another week. So. Um, and I'm happy to talk about it when I've given it a fair trial. I don't want to sort of um, do it, but that that is a five to twenty-five by fifty-six scope, and it's um, it's in in mill the one I've got with a decent reticle in first focal plane, and it's under eight hundred dollars. Mm. So um, the first session with it wasn't great. Um, optically, it's not is not impressive, um, and the dialing. The dialing didn't match up to tried data I've had before, um, so I want to put it on paper on a tracking test to see what's happening there. Um, and uh, but it really just it didn't quite perform. But at eight hundred dollars, um, the, the problem is you go well for the the price is probably pretty good. But if it's not tracking well, um, it's it's wasted eight hundred dollars. That's right. The other scope I tried on the weekend was a Leopold a six to eighteen Mark AR which is one of their sort of cheaper ones. Now, it's not first focal plane, it's second focal plane, but it was mill and mill, and it, it tracked perfectly a couple of weeks ago when I tried it, and then we took it out to distance on Sunday, and it, it did really, really well. So for, uh, and it, it repeatedly would go up and down, up and down, and shoot and put it on, on target when it needed to. Hmm. Yeah, look, for me, the the... Mechanical reliability is is critical one. Yep. I mean, if you had a scope, a sub thousand dollar scope that uh, optically wasn't brilliant but was very reliable in its tracking, yeah, I would deal go, with it. Wouldn't yep. you? Yeah. Yep. So from that that point alone, I mean, I would I would recommend somebody if they had a thousand dollars to spend and no more, I'd recommend them to get a, a second focal plane scope of better quality. Yeah. And deal with having to pay attention to where your magnification set. Hmm. So um, if we if if we um if we were to to say with with second focal plane because we've talked a reasonable amount about first focal plane but se- second focal plane in if you are on a on a static range you know your distance and you're going to be at your highest magnification or a set magnification 
continually, particularly if you're going to be dialing most of your stuff and you've got time, a second focal plane, there's, there's no real disadvantage for that sort of thing, is there, for the, no. in that application? Absolutely not. I mean, a, a good number of the, the reticles that the, you know, the F-class shooters like are, are really basic. Some of them are just a dot. A dot, yeah. And yeah, so they're tiny not... Tiny little thin... Yeah, they're not utilising yeah. the reticle for anything other than where, putting where to put the actual it. aiming mark. Yeah, so... For that application, there's zero benefit whatsoever of a, mm. a, a first focal plane scope. Um, and, and I guess yeah. So w- when you know the, w- when you, your first focal plane comes into its own is is when you've got that when you are relying on the reticle in some aspect for what it is you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, can be that. And the one that we haven't probably talked about is to mill a target. So to use your reticle to actually work out the distance of a target, which we're certainly not going to cover now because that's quite complex in itself. Um, to yeah. get your head around, but to actually use the, the marks in a target of a relatively known size um, is very difficult to do with second focal plane. Um, yeah, it's I mean, not impossible by any stretch, but it's a, a quicker, easier process through a first focal plane. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, a lot of the, a lot of just general sort of hunting scopes, you know, yep. with a basic duplex reticle, for example, um, you know, most of the time. You know, like for an average hunting application, they might be zeroed at 200 metres or yards and mm-hmm. and guys will just go, you know, there might be a pig or a deer at 300, so they go, oh, okay, I'll just hold slightly higher, for example, and they're not actually using it sort of precisely. Yep. Um, and there are ways and means of using basic reticles to give you more mm-hmm. reference points. Um, but uh, for the average kind of hunting rifle, it's probably not super critical. Mm. Um but it is of benefit. You know, if you've got a first focal plane scope and you know how to use it, mm. um, guys that have gone and you know, from a second focal plane to a first focal plane, yep. a good one, mm-hmm. often it's hard to go back. Yeah, no, um, I'll certainly be in that category. I've, I changed a number of scopes to uh, to first and, and haven't looked back. I've still got an, a second focal plane scopes on, on lots of guns. that far outweighs my first, but um, for the particular guns... For a particular sort of application, they are the, they certainly have an advantage. Um, having said that, if you're going to if you're going to run it on your power that your your um, reticle is calibrated for, you're not going to lose anything one way or the other. It's just when you need to dial back. Um, and most people think, oh well, I'm long range shooting. I'm going to be on my maximum power. As soon as it starts becoming practical shooting or a, or the precision rifle style of shooting. Um, the uh, ability to dial back is beneficial and the speed of using a reticle, particularly for your wind, but sometimes also for your holdovers, um, has its advantages. Well, and, and the fact that uh, Mirage can play a big part. Of yeah, often, true. You know, you, uh, if you've got a 50 or a 60 power scope and you've got a heavy Mirage day, there's no way in the world you're going to be shooting it on 60 power. So there's, there's other issues there that uh, you know come into play as well, but... Um, so I guess it's one of those things people say, which is the better? It's just, you can't yeah, ne- simply answer that question. No, um, you need more information to be able to make a recommendation. You know, mm. you, I'd firstly ask, what do you want to do with it? Yep. And how much money have you got? <laughs> I mean, that's the basic thing. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because so, if they say I've got two grand or, or three grand, it, yeah, puts, well, it puts a lot of scopes out of the equation. So you yep. don't even need to look at them. So, but yeah, again. Yeah, if someone's sitting around a thousand dollar mark, what, what what would you say? Would it be better to go for a better quality scope um, and stay first focal plane, or try and get something first? Uh, sorry, stay second focal plane, or try and get something first that perhaps loses something 
there. Oh, I would yeah. say without any doubt, I'd, I would go with a better quality second focal plane every time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for years, that's I, I used second focal plane scopes predominantly. Yeah. And I would take, you know, a higher quality second focal plane over subpar quality first focal plane mm. any day of the year. I mean, I have been frustrated sometimes with first uh, second focal plane scopes. I've missed a couple of shots on foxes. Because you've been on the wrong magnification. Yeah. Yep. You know, you hold them. So, go, okay, I'll quickly look at your drop I chart. I reckon I rem- remember the, uh, that was the 32 power yeah. scope. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you're quickly looking at your drop chart because you've got a fox that's not going to hang around. You hold on the wrong, yeah, you the hold wrong on whatever, yep. whatever you want it, and you go, well, that didn't go where I wanted it to, and then the fox is gone. So actually, that, that's probably a good a good one to talk about. That was a, a a thirty two power, but on a on a second focal plane, it's not always the maximum power that it's uh, aligned for. And that particular one is around twenty or twenty two power. Twenty two power calibrated for, yeah. And so if you if you if you wound that all the way up, your reticle is no longer calibrated um, d- directly. Um, but also, if you're, I know you're using that particular scope spotlighting, so you're not necessarily getting the opportunity to stop exactly on 22 power, or you haven't got the light to work out which power you're meant to be on. Um, so, so for, for for example, I mean that particular scope, um, you know, if one particular shot which I missed, uh, missed a fox, I can't recall the range <laughs> offhand, but um, yep, I'd, I'd ranged it and quickly looked at my drop chart, had the hold I needed, held on the reticle. And went way over the top of him. <laughs> yep. Um, I'd basically given him way too much. Now, mm. in the in the immediate, you're like, what the hell was that? But then I looked at the uh, magnification. I was down around twelve or fourteen power. Yep. So what that basically means was instead of the the graduations on the reticle being say two minutes of angle, they might have subtended three and a half or four mm. minutes of angle. Mm. So I just held on the reticle and basically gave him double the elevation he needed. So <laughs> and away he went. That's yeah. the kind of moment you go, if I had a first focal plane, he'd be dead. But by the same token, it also raises the question of, um, of once again, always comes down to application. Is the right scope for application? And for me, um, when I'm spotlighting a, a 12 to 15 power scope has, has always served me very well. And that way I know I can just bump it up to full power and, and my reticle is in line. And I haven't, I've used a, um, a first focal plane scope for spotlighting uh, a few times. Um, but I didn't see the need cause I, I sort of stayed on 15 power the entire time. And so yeah. I, I ended up going back to a second focal plane. Having uh, said that, I, I am aware of at least one of our listeners that, uh, probably shoots, Two, three times a week minimum. Yeah. Yep. Um, shoots probably more foxes than most people I know. Have ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, and he he likes the more, more power he can get, the better. And, and I'm yeah, absolutely not saying I'm uh, anything's particularly wrong with it. I'm just if you know what your application is and you know how you should go about shooting absolutely. it, absolutely. Then you make it work for you. And I, I'm guessing I know the guy you're talking about. And yeah, I've 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 shot with him, and he's been. Um, had his scope on 24 power and for some reason he can p- pick up a, uh, a, uh, a fox from a, you know, from a standing position to dropping on a ute and be on that fox within seconds. Um, whereas I can, I'm still trying to work out if I'm looking through the right end of the scope at that time. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's familiarity with your equipment and, it is, and yeah. it's just got everything set up perfect. So when you get down behind it, there's no moving around to find your reticle. It's just right there. Dead in line. Yeah, yep. absolutely. So that, that was a good night though. We I think we got something fifty odd foxes that night. But anyway, that's another that's another story for another day. Um, so I mean I guess um 
as far as people listening that may have the questions regarding scope, suitability, and, mm-hmm. and choice and selection, if they've got specific questions, yep. by all means, sort of certainly ask them. Yep. Um, yeah, get the questions into us because it's it's pretty hard to to cover all um, applications. Yeah, you know, certainly. Yeah. You might get ten guys asking you a similar question that are that are using their rifles in a different manner. So mm-hmm. um, it's a little bit hard to cover all of them, but. Hmm. Yeah, but I, I think to um, yeah we've 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 been now talking about verse focal plane for I don't know twenty minutes or something twenty five minutes, um, and it's often glossed over in terms of um, she go first or second and, and oh you know always go first or always go second or oh you should work out your application just do it that way. But I think it's uh, often you know people don't necessarily walk away from that discussion knowing a bit more. I don't know or find out if they're going to walk away from this one knowing a lot more, but. Um, Perhaps it's worth patting out, and, and I know the other question that we do get a lot is, um, is MOA better or is uh, Milradian better? Um, and I'm sure we shall save that one for another podcast. It's not uh, for now because, um, uh, well, the, the short answer is no, neither one's better. Um, and once again, it's application and what you're used to. But anyway, we'll, we'll yeah. save all those answers for another yeah, for another discussion because absolutely. it'd be good to flesh out what is the difference and where they came from and why we would use one or the other. Um, so can you think anything more about first or second focal planes, perhaps? I think uh, I think we've sort of fairly well covered... Um, what we know, anyway. Uh, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not rocket science, really, it's... Both mm. have their applications, and, and well, it's quite easy to explain how they work. Yeah. And again, like anything, if you are, you know, very familiar with with one or the other, you'll be you'll be better with it. You know, I know guys that have never used the first focal plane scope, but they're really good shooters still. So yeah, yeah, certainly. It's you know, I would say almost exclusively the military utilise first focal plane, but okay. they've they've got reason for that. You know, and they they often you know moving targets and that sort of thing. Because time, uh, time's pretty critical in that oh, application. Yeah, and they don't have time to go, okay, what, what magnification am I on? They just need to be able to uh, look through it and go straight away. So, I, I guess that's one other thing that we haven't perhaps covered is is having a second focal plane and using it on an, on an odd power is still very possible, but they've now introduced a different um, a different ca- uh, an additional step in the process to work out... Um, uh, that what your so if you were originally on twenty two power and that's where it's like your scope previously we talked about and you were sitting there on eleven power, obviously rather than yeah rather than lining up to one MOA your your distance is going to line up to two two MOA yeah I mean it, I've seen multiple ca- occasions where you know when we've you know more just for you know, mucking around and, and really seeing how far people can stretch their rifle out to. Yeah. Um, guys that have been shooting sort of over a mile with a three oh eight, for example, the elevation you require to do that, I've seen guys max out the elevation dial on the dial, yeah. And they might have a scope that might have say twenty minutes of elevation in the reticle at I, the I nom- just... nominal range of say twenty two power at the maximum of that particular scope. Yep. They've backed it down to say eleven power. And that's turned into forty. Yep. But yeah. I mean, it's it's all give and take because then your your image is appearing at half the size that it would at twenty two power. So <laughs> That's exactly right. But it's allowed them to do it. So yeah. and it's possible. And if you know that you are, I guess if you were spotlighting, for example, and you you knew which power you were on, you could make a relatively quick assessment as to 
what my radical is going to be behaving like now and, and, and still utilize a, a second focal plane um, in the same way you would have first. You've just got an additional equation to, to put into it. Yeah, and I mean, I know a lot of guys that, that use, say, you know, in the, the 5 to 25 power range, mm-hmm. um, you know, second focal plane scopes for, for spotlighting and, and they'll locate the target, you know, the fox or rabbit or whatever it might be. Yep. At the lower power, and, and then, then dial it up. up. Yeah. yeah. So if they do need to hold on the reticle, then it's going to be they true. So it. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then I got um, no guys who just dial, who just be whatever, whatever power they want, they dial, and therefore it's relatively relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So certainly to say, I guess in in conclusion, one, one is not necessarily better than the other. It's always about your application, and if you're going to be sitting in a, if you're not necessarily using your reticle, or you're happy to do that extra calculation, um, if you're going to be in a situation where you're not on the the power your scope is calibrated, calibrated for. Um, then a second focal plane, and particularly if you're going to save some money, it's going to be worthwhile. But if you're in a in a situation where you're perhaps pressed for time and you want to make your 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 decisions quickly, and you rely on your reticle either for elevation or wind or both, um, then a second focal plane is going to come into a first focal plane. Sorry, first focal plane is going to come into its own uh, quite uh, significantly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Seems fair. Yeah, I think that kind of covers it pretty cool. well. So, uh, so if, if anyone's got other experiences with either of those options or if there's some third vocal plane that we've never heard of, um, let us know about it. Um, that would be very interesting to hear. But we'd, we'd love to hear your experiences and, and what you've done. And, um, yeah, hopefully the guys who have asked some questions, this will help you out um, to clarify at least this part of the topic as well. And I'm sure in, in a, a future episode we um, – uh, we will talk about uh, some of the other aspects of scope, and and one being uh, mill and uh, MOA. Out of curiosity, Andrew, you you generally use MOA or mill? Currently, uh, mill, but I've I'd started and spent most of my shooting career on MOA because that was the predominant thing. Yep. But I've more, gone to mill, and mil. I've got reason for that, which again we'll, we'll oh, okay. go into. See, I was I was just I thought you might be still on. I thought you might be on MOA, which. I reckon Greg and uh, Dan both use mill, as do I. Um, perhaps we have to get someone in to talk from the. Uh, I guess we all we all started probably on MOA. Well, I did certainly, and you did. Yeah, and I think it's again we'll we'll go into it in, in finer anyway, detail. We're but we're jumping ahead of the head of are, things. Yes, but yes, so. anyway, we'll leave that for another episode, guys. So thank you very much for listening, um, and please, uh, as we talked about, check out. Yeah, the comp this uh, weekend coming, the Victorian Practical Rifles Series, just to put a date on it. Um, so if you listen to this afterwards, that is on the 13th of March, 2016. Um, uh, so, yeah, check that out. And um, thanks very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter.